welcome to Future Focused, Sophisticated Estate Planning with Wigan and Dana, the show where CPAs, insurance professionals, investment brokers, trust companies, CFPs, and more can firm up on their understanding of estate planning strategies so they can better guide their clients to make wise decisions with their legacy. Future Focus is hosted by Aaron Nichols and Michael Clear, partners of the Private Client Services Department at Wigan and Dana. Subscribe to Future Focused Sophisticated Estate Planning on your favorite podcast platform and share episodes with your clients. And now, here are your hosts, Aaron and Michael. Well, welcome to another episode of Future Focused. I'm Michael Clear, and I'm joined today again with my co-host, Aaron Nichols. And today we're going to be talking about a strategy that a number of our clients use in their overall wealth planning, and that is the operation of a family foundation. Yeah, and so this is one of my favorite topics to talk about because I do love charitable planning. So when we're working with high net worth clients, typically if they have some charitable goals, they pick one of two vehicles, a donor advised fund or a private foundation. Now a private foundation gives the donor and the people operating the foundation a good bit of control over use of the funds, but there's a trade-off because administration of a private foundation can be much more onerous than people realize. So I think we'll use today's episode as an opportunity to sort of quickly outline the things that every private foundation should be doing on an annual basis. Yeah, that's great. And I crack up a little because you say it's one of your favorite topics. And it just so (laughs) happens that we always pick Aaron's favorite topics to talk about every week. So as we talk about this, we're not going to do a full on comparison between donor advised funds and foundations, but we will talk a little bit about the interplay and how they can react to each other. But let's jump in on focusing on some of those requirements that a foundation has every year. I think we've identified five. So what's the first one? Sure. So the first one would be federal reporting. So at a minimum, every single private foundation must file an annual tax return, and it's a 990 PF. And regardless of the size of the foundation or or how it's operated, you have this filing obligation that looks very much like a traditional tax return. If the foundation is larger, it could give rise to additional reporting requirements. For example, if the size of the foundation is over a certain threshold, there could be SEC filing requirements. And also, people don't necessarily realize with tax-exempt organizations that if you have employees, there are still Social Security and Medicare withholding requirements and the same sort of W-9s and 1099s that a traditional place of employment would have. So at minimum, it's that 990 PF, but certainly there can be more complex situations that give rise to more federal reporting. Yeah. So at the more complex level, it feels like you're going probably have an accounting firm create it. Maybe at a less complex level, do people fill them out themselves or they always get guidance? Yeah, that's a great question. Certainly the more complex situations absolutely should seek out an accounting firm and really an accounting firm that has some specialty with this sort of work. I can't say that I would necessarily recommend that a private foundation do this 990 by themselves because it is quite complex. It's not sort of your 
TurboTax style 1040 where it's, you know, easy to fill in every line. For example, this will lead into one of our next annual requirements, and that is the calculation of the 5% minimum distribution requirement. So I'll jump right to that as another one of our five annual requirements, but the amount that a private foundation must distribute on an annual basis is reported on that 990. And the calculation is quite complex and it's done on an asset by asset basis, which is why I think that it would be good to have professional help regardless of the situation. But this 5% minimum distribution requirement is you know, something, again, that has to be done annually to prevent private foundations from sort of just holding on to assets and never using them for a charitable purpose. The IRS and the Treasury Department don't love the idea of donors giving to a private foundation getting to claim that charitable deduction, but then assets sitting within a private foundation. So again, every year it's 5% of the net assets of the private foundation from the prior year must be distributed either typically for grants. There are some qualified operating expenses that can go toward that 5% minimum distribution requirement as well. And then kind of bringing that up to the federal reporting, where that money goes gets listed on that 990. Absolutely. Yeah. So you have to disclose all of the distributions that you've made and you prove through that reporting that you've complied with the minimum distribution requirements from prior years. And it allows the IRS to sort of trace where the foundation's money is going. Great. So we've hit federal reporting. We've talked a little bit about that 5% annual distribution rule. Let's go back to other reporting that's required. Sure. Yeah. So certainly there is state level reporting. It'll depend on the jurisdiction. We often focus on Connecticut that since that's where we happen to be sitting. But if the private foundation is organized as a non-stock corporation, then there will be an annual report required by the state every year. So typical of for-profit corporations, it's generally the Secretary of State's office that requires certain information to be disclosed for a private foundation that information disclosure will contain a copy of the 990 and there's some fee that goes along with it. And even if the private foundation is organized as a trust and not a non-stock or similar corporation, and Michael and I tend to prefer organizing private foundations as a trust, but you're not off the hook in terms of state-level reporting because even then, I think over 40 states require registration for charitable solicitation, which has a very broad definition and, again, varies by jurisdiction. But if there's any possibility that this private foundation could receive funds from other donors, meaning the client didn't just sort of fund the private foundation 
and it will receive no other contributions from third parties. But if that's not the case, then it's generally the Department of Consumer Protection or similar type of agency that requires the nonprofit to register for charitable solicitation purposes. And both that registration and the annual reporting for corporations will come along with a small fee as well. Great. So we have our reporting requirements, both at a federal and a state level. We have our 5% distribution rules. From there, what are some additional best practices that a foundation might see every year? Sure. That's a great question, because certainly, at least again, with corporations, you will likely be required by statute to have a meeting of the board of directors, at least annually. You need to maintain that formality in order to avoid piercing that proverbial veil, right, of, of the corporation. So a formal annual meeting where minutes are taken and all of the business of the foundation is discussed is likely required for a corporation. But even if it's a trust, certainly a best practice is to get all of the trustees together to discuss business of the corporation. And certainly it will cover everything from expenses and general administration to grant making, which I think, you know, most broadly falls into our last category. Yeah, let's just hit that annual meeting one more time, though. So you're going to get together, you're going to meet. And I think your top level talking points, A, you know, did we check off? Did we do our federal reporting? Did we file the 990, the state reporting, the 5% distribution? We'll look at expenses. I think you're going to look at the investments, right? You might look at your investment policy statement, how the funds have been invested. You may hear from the professional that's been investing your funds just so you can agree upon what the strategy is going forward. And then we hit on the grant making aspect of it. Yeah, absolutely. And the investment piece is important. And, you know, it's good to have a professional involved in the conversation with private foundations, there is an excise tax on investment income. So investing judiciously is important. And of course, there's a tax on unrelated business taxable income, UBIT, that you should be mindful of in a closely held situation, typically. Absolutely. So hopefully we're making grants every year. That's the initial perspective we're taking today is it's a grant-making foundation. So what do you do or how do you recommend kind of that audit or that annual review on the grant-making? Yeah. So certainly having a discussion about the goals of the foundation and what distribution should be made for is important. And there kind of is broadly two categories of distributions that private foundations make. One is a simple distribution to a public charity. So that's the other type of nonprofit that is not subject to these same onerous administrative requirements as private foundations. So when a private foundation makes a distribution to a public charity, you can 
just, you know, have no further relationship with the recipient. There's no responsibility to sort of follow up with the public charity on the use of the funds or anything like that. In the case of a distribution to another private foundation or to an individual in certain circumstances, the private foundation has an expenditure responsibility requirement. And that is terminology that the code uses. And it really is an umbrella of requirements that the private foundation sort of has to more or less police the grant that they've extended to this recipient that's not a public charity. So it'll be important to have a grant agreement in place and in your yearly review of grant making to review agreements for grants that are already in place and make sure that everyone is holding up their end of the bargain, right? So typically, one of those grant agreements will require a recipient of a grant to provide annual financial reporting to the private foundation. So making sure that you receive that will certainly bolster the argument that you're taking care of your duty under that expenditure responsibility requirement and is best administrative practice in general. Well, that's great. We've covered a lot of material here today, yeah, hitting those, those very high kind of topics of what we need to do on an annual basis. And, and as I sit here listening and just pulling out a few things, I think what this leads towards all the other questions that come up and things that you have mentioned today. One, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago with Dan Daniels and family meetings, is the interplay of a foundation with a family and how families make decisions and how families help deal with their wealth. And I think using the grant making or those decision makings as a family is a whole topic all on its own. Along with other things that kind of came out today that I think maybe we'll dive into in the future or just know that are thorny. And that's the UBIT. That's an excise tax on investments. Maybe creative ways of thinking about or making the 5% distribution every year. Questions that come up often is, can we pay a family member to serve on the foundation? And kind of the issues that get thrown around with that. The difference in strategy and requirements when we set up a scholarship within a foundation. And then what we also see periodically is sometimes that when a family member dies or a parent dies, clients want to split the foundation. Or in that same situation or in a divorce situation, we sometimes terminate the foundation. So just from that conversation, all of those kind of additional ideas of taking that operating of the foundation to that next level. And I think are all topics that we may hit in the future. Absolutely. Wow, that was a great summary. I liked that. And it was good issue spotting because, like you indicated, there's so much that we can talk about and maybe we'll talk about in future episodes. But I think really an important takeaway here is that private foundations by and large are much more difficult to administer than I think a lot of people give them credit for, I guess, you know, you could say. So that really is a factor when a client comes to you and is looking for a charitable vehicle, whether you're guiding them toward a private foundation or a donor advised fund. Well, thank you, Aaron. I think that was a great conversation of those five things that we need to be taking into consideration on an annual basis as we operate our foundations. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. 
Thank you for listening to Future Focused, Sophisticated Estate Planning, hosted by Aaron Nichols and Michael Clear, partners of the Private Client Services Department at Wigan and Dana. At Wigan and Dana, our aim is preserving the wealth that a family has worked so hard to create and pride ourselves in offering value-driven solutions and results. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, share episodes with your clients, and follow our highly talented, creative, and experienced lawyers on LinkedIn for even more great insight. We'll see you next time on Future Focused, Sophisticated Estate Planning.